0: Well, how is everybody doing this morning? why don't we go ahead and just turn our eyes back to God Father we just thank you for this opportunity that right now we can just come before your throne boldly and you said that as we do we find help in our time of need we find grace in our time of need we find everything that we need so as we were singing just a moment ago that we'll wait for you we will turn our eyes to you we will look to you and when we put you as our focus and as our satisfaction I thank you Father that we find all that we need because you are our full supply. Everything in this world may fail, but you never change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we choose to put our hope in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jessica was just doing the announcement there. I was just getting some scriptures in my heart. And, uh, you know, we were singing, I will wait for you, Lord. I will wait for you. And what does that mean for you? When When we take that time to just stop and wait before the Lord. I was thinking about Isaiah chapter 40. It says in verse 29, he gives power to the weak. To those who have no might, he increases strength. Isn't that a good place to be in that if you don't have the strength, you come before him and he increases your strength. That you don't have to go without strength. You don't have to stay tired. You don't have to stay worn down. You can go before him and he increases strength. It says even the youths shall faint and be weary this is talking about your natural strength even young men and young kids can get tired and get worn out and it says the young men shall utter, utterly fall but those who wait on the lord shall renew their strength They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not be faint. So this morning, if you're feeling a little worn out, you're feeling a little drunk down, there is a supply for you, amen? Father, we thank you that there's a supply for us today. There is a supercharging by the Spirit of God on the inside of us that you build us up, you strengthen us. Whatever it is we need, you are that supply, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name amen and amen well you're ready for a good time in the Word this morning well if you're not you probably came to the wrong place then (laughs) we're gonna continue on in our series that we looped back to last week on the heart and now this series is we started back in September we did two weeks on September and then we got interrupted with six weeks on the end times and now we're going back to about the heart and why is the heart so important Why is it such an important topic? You know that the Bible talks about the heart 826 times? This is not a footnote in the Bible. This is something that is a strong emphasis that is woven through the Old Testament and through the New Testament. God is very much concerned and interested with the content of your heart. He's interested in what goes on in the very inner workings of you. You know, he's not just concerned about your spirit. He loves that you've given your your you've asked him into your spirit and to come and make his home in you. And he's happy that you'll be going to him with it to live with him in heaven when you leave this earth. But he cares about the details of your life right here. He cares about how your heart is influencing your decision-making process and how your heart is influencing how you interact with those around you, how you succeed or don't succeed in your business endeavor. God is interested in all the minute details. You know, as I was doing some research a few weeks ago on the the heart, some more after getting my thoughts back around this topic, I came across an article of a man... He was, he was writing an article and the article was titled Why the Bible is Wrong. And so usually things like that interest me because I click on them and I'm like, okay, what do they have to say? I have no problem reading people who don't believe what I believe because it usually just strengthens and reinforces what I believe because I go like, that's not true. You said this about God and the Bible says the opposite. So who should I believe, a man or a God who can't lie? I have no problem reading things that are negative about God because it only reinforces my beliefs. And so his article was, why the Bible is wrong, and so I clicked on it and went into it, and it was, he said, the Bible talks so much about the heart and everything that the heart does, but don't these Christians know the heart is just an organ that pumps blood? And I was like, dude, they're not talking about the, the little beater in their chest. The, when he says the heart, he's not talking about the thing that pumps the blood around. He's talking about the very core, the being of who you are. And the, why, why does the Bible use uh, the, 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 the word heart, which we would consider our natural heart, uh, why would they use the image of that for when he talks about the innermost, the core of our being? Because the heart's pretty important in your organs, is it not? It's, it's up there on the, the level of importance. If you've got a problem with your heart, you've got a problem. We have heart institutes, we have cardiologists, we have people that their job is just to make sure your heart keeps ticking. Because if your heart stops ticking, so long. And so when they use the picture of the heart and using the same word as such a vital organ, he's trying to get across to us that it's important. It's an important core of our being. We know that Paul said we are spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body, but the heart is our operating programming or or parameters. It's the guidelines of what we allow ourselves to do and what we don't allow ourselves to do. The things that we allow to dominate us in our spirit, they get imprinted on our heart and become our reactions. The things that we let from our mind, our will, and our emotions be dominant, it gets imprinted on our heart and they become our reactions. The things, the parts where we let our body be dominant. You know, your body can very much be dominant. I don't want to get up. I want to eat now. No, I don't want to do the work. You know, it talks to you very loudly. And when you allow it to be a dominant force, that gets imprinted. And you know that you do one thing once, you do one thing twice, you do one thing 20 times, you once there becomes a habit. You don't even have to think about it. You just begin to do it because you're living out of your programming. And so we can program our hearts to respond better, or we can program our hearts to respond worse. And so Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, he told us to keep our hearts with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Why is the spring important? Because things that spring, they go boing, they happen. And so if you want to control what's going to spring out of you in the moment, it takes proactive work and consideration. Amen? So the word that he uses here for keep is the word nassar. And it means to guard, to watch over, to keep, to observe, to guard with fidelity, and to be kept close and to be blockaded and sometimes you have to set up boundaries and blockades that no I will not let myself go in that direction. I will not let myself think on those things. I will not let myself talk those things. You have to put up barricades and say no. And that's what Solomon here is saying. He's like you got to guard it. No one else can guard it for you. We can give you the best advice, but what do they say? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. You and you alone can guard your heart. God can't even guard it for you. It's something that he has put into your care. And so when we think about it, he says, keep your heart with all diligence. And it's interesting, the word diligence is basically a description of a prison or a guard post. So what is he saying? He's saying, guard your heart with all the guarding that you can guard. Because he's trying to get you to know that there's going to have to be some action involved on our parts. You know, there's great parts about the Bible that is very much we receive from God, but then there is also our responsibility that he's given to us to walk out. Just like he won't make you get saved, he won't make you walk in divine health. He won't make you walk in prosperity. He will not make you walk in humility. He will not make you walk in love, but he sure wish you would. And so Solomon is saying, guard your heart with everything that you possibly can. It's important. Things spring out of it. And the idea that is portrayed through the words that they use here is that it's a vineyard or a garden. Now, Allison, you're here this morning. It takes a ton of work to keep a vineyard, does it not? It's not like something you just wake up and I'll do a little bit of work today. It's a day in and day out thing. And it's the same way with farming or gardening. It takes work to keep a garden well. And I came across this picture today, uh, earlier this week. And I was like, oh, what's this? It's It's just a picture of a bush. But you know what's underneath that bush? And I think a lot of people's hearts look like this. Can you grow any value in that? No, you can't get tomatoes out of that. They just get shaded out by all the weeds. But a garden and a heart that has been tended is prepared for growth. An increase if you are intentional about wanting to see the things of god grow in you you make room for them you prepare a place for them to grow you protect them you get into an environment where growth becomes natural when you've got good seed good soil good fertilizer good sun and the removal of all those things that would hinder those things things grow naturally. And so we said last week that what we allow ourselves to consider shapes the responses of our hearts. What we consider, we will become sensitive to, and what we neglect, we will become hardened to. And there's always different areas of our lives where we are, can be softer, and other areas where we can be so- hardened. But God is saying, soften your heart before me. Now let's look at a practical example of this concept being walked out. you interested in some practical advice this morning? Yes. Why don't you go over to Mark chapter 10? And so the last few times we were approaching this subject, we were in Mark like 7, Mark 8, and Mark 9. And we know that those, the theme through those chapters was Jesus was pointing out to his disciples that their hearts were hardened. And Peter's reflection when he relayed things back to Mark, who wrote this book, was that the reason why we weren't able to respond the way Jesus wanted is because our hearts were hardened. And so Jesus just keeps on with that theme going through Mark 7, 8, 9, and now into chapter 10. Verse 1, he says, Then he arose from there, and he came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan. And the multitudes gathered to him again, and as he was accustomed... He taught them again. I love how Jesus just takes the opportunities that he's given. That's not what we're talking about, though. Let's continue on. Verse 2, it says, The Pharisees came and asked him a question. They said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, testing him? Now, we're not talking about marriage and divorce this morning, but there's an application here that is very important. The next verse, he says, And he answered them and said to them, knowing He knows it's a trap. You know, they tried their best to lure him in, and he never fell for it. He was always good, or the Holy Spirit allowed him to to perceive their thoughts, to know what they were doing ahead of time. And so he said back to them a question, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. Now here's Jesus' answer to them. He said to them, and it was because of the hardness of your heart that he wrote this precept. What is he meaning here when he says that? think about the start of a relationship or the start of a marriage people don't go into a loving marriage hating their spouse but yet when they divorce most hate their spouse you talk to divorce lawyers and it's just like man the things i've heard the things i've seen i wish i could wash it from my brain with bleach nobody enters into a relationship hating their spouse they run, they enter in with passion. They enter in with desire. They enter in with wanting to unite the lives together. Now, what happened along the journey from passion to hatred? There was probably a, a seed of offense that happened. You didn't do the dishes the way I wanted you to. You didn't take the garbage out. You haven't mowed the lawn in forever. And those those seeds. It's yeah, it's it's winter time. <laughs> don't have to mow the lawn anymore those seeds left unchecked and left undealt with grow and what was once you never do the dishes becomes like you don't love me anymore and we all know how that goes and we know That when that seed is rooted out, we can go back to that place of passion, that that place of understanding between a relationship. But when we don't keep the seeds of offense, the seeds of bitterness, the seeds of hurt, the seeds of division, if we don't tend the garden in that area of our marriage, we know where it leads to. And so in the example that Jesus is using here in Mark chapter 10, he said the only reason divorce happens is because it takes people hardening their hearts. The way that friends move apart in hatred and animosity is because seeds were allowed to grow and harden a heart. The reason why a job you used to love and find fulfillment in now hates is because you hate and you just can't, don't want to get in there, is because there's been seeds that have been planted that have allowed to grow division and to separate you from. And so what you consider, you will become softened to, and what you neglect, you will become hardened to. Now, we see this all the time in a church setting. You know, like when I'm away from church, it's kind of like I find myself get. I have to, I'm a daily type of guy. I, my wife notice when I haven't taken time in the Word. I'll just talk about myself for a second. My wife notices when I haven't been taking time in prayer because it shows up in my attitude. It shows up in the way we communicate. And it's the same way when we neglect the things of God, we don't intend to harden ourselves to him, but the things that you don't give attention to, you become hardened to. I used to work for a person, and the joke between me and the other employees was, we always knew when our employer didn't go to church on the weekend, because he was impossible to work with through the week, and then he'd get to church the next weekend, and he suddenly would be better. It's like, you know, the things of God work the same way as the things in a marriage. If you can harden yourself in a marriage, you can harden yourself in the great marriage, which is you are the bride of Christ. But what is really at the core of what's happening here is that feelings become easy to follow. Your hurt will take you places that you never want to go. Your offense will take you places you never intended to be and, and end up in a spot that is just not healthy. But we're not to be led by our feelings. Romans 8:14 says, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. A better way of saying it is, for those who are God's kids, he talks to and he directs. And so God will never lead you into a place of bitterness. He will never lead you into a place of offense or animosity he will lead you into a place of love and so as a child of God you withdraw yourself from the hurt and the offense and you say God lead me and you'll find out where you need to be and it's very easy for us to be led by our emotions do you know that what the most used commandment in the Bible is fear not which is an emotion fear not don't be afraid it's like something like 160 times it's the most used commandment why because when fear comes in you want to follow it now fear has a healthy place There is a healthy place for fear. You know, there's some people that should listen to their fear a little bit more and do some things that are less dangerous. You know, we've all seen the memes on the internet of like, why do women live longer than men? And you see like a guy like balancing off the side of a building trying to reach something he has no business. You need a better healthy dose of fear to say, stop doing that. But fear, when it's allowed to dominate, leads you to a place of paralyzation where you're not moving for anything. And we see that right now in our 2020 society. Fear has paralyzed so many that they've said, 2020's a write-off. What do we? You just can't wait till it's over. No, you could have grown. You could have increased. You could have gotten more successful right here in 2020, but you allowed fear to hold you in a place. But fear not is the commandment of the Lord. We don't have to be afraid because he'll always see us through and i don't have to be led by my emotions of fear and it's interesting to note that when he said fear not most of the time he also coupled it then with an action to do if we look at exodus 14 when the children of israel are at the red sea and the egyptians at their back what was god's commandment to them don't be afraid stand still Why did they need to stand still? Because fear was making them want to scatter. And if you scatter, you're going to miss the avenue that God's creating right before you. And he says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. And we all know what he did. He split the sea. But you know what he also told them? Move forward. And you know that the water didn't start to move until they started to move. And so if you allow yourself to be paralyzed for fear, you've got the enemy at your back and the obstacle in the front and nobody's moving and destruction's coming down. But when you follow the word of the Lord, move when he says move. Stand still when he says stand still. You know, we see this in Deuteronomy 3.22. God's instructions was, you must not fear them for the Lord your God himself fights for you. The battle is not even yours Your responsibility is to follow the instructions. He said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand, and not a man of them shall stand before you. You know, they may look big and in your face, whatever the problem is or whoever it is, but no one can stand before Almighty God, and he's the one that's inside of you. Let's look at one from the New Testament. In Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, Do not fear, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That's a verse of provision. You don't have to be afraid that you're going to find yourself in a place of lack. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to pour out his blessings upon you. You don't have to be afraid of what might, coulda, shoulda, woulda, woulda, whatever it could be when it comes to your provision. God said, I will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus, not according to your ability and not according to your supply. And so we have to get fear out of the way when it comes to our provision but what we're talking about is we cannot allow ourselves to be led by our emotions because emotions will take you where you don't want to go, and we are led by the Spirit of God. I love what Smith Wigglesworth used to say. He says, I am not moved by what I see. I am not moved by what I feel. I am moved by what I believe. And Brother Hagin took up a similar thing. He said, I will not move by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm only moved by what the Word of God says about me. And so the emphasis of our heart should be placed on establishing and reinforcing Bible-based beliefs. So if we have to tend the garden of our heart, the tools in which we should do it with is the Word of God. And so Proverbs told us, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. But as we were ending last week, we told you Solomon's advice for how to keep it. And his first piece of advice, which we're going to focus on today, is he said, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Now think about this for a second. There is nothing in the mouth's nature that makes it deceitful. We all have a mouth. But what makes a mouth deceitful is the words that come out of it. There's nothing perverse about your lips by nature. What makes your lips perverse? What comes out of it. And so, what Solomon here is talking about is not what you are by nature, but with what you use it for. And these words that are used here, deceitful and perverse, have an interesting definition. The word deceitful is distortion or distorted. And so, he's saying, don't distort the truth. With your words you know you can make anything sound right you can use your words to try and justify anything doesn't mean it's true you can convince yourself by what you tell yourself does not make it true and the word perverse there means deviation or to deviate How do you deviate from the path that is before you? You do it with your words. You want to put yourself off course pretty quick? Listen to what you're saying. Because what you're saying is where you're going. It's taking you to a place. And so Solomon's instruction here about keeping your heart is watching over the words that come out of your mouth. Last week we told you that faith and unbelief can exist in your heart at the same time. They can be pulling against one another and keeping you from going anywhere. And we talked about what happens when you remove unbelief from the situation. Bang! Faith wins. And so you can have two opposing things that you believe in your heart at the same time. And we said the one that you feed wins. Which one are you willing to strengthen? Which one are you willing to empower? Because eventually one of those is going to bow out of the situation. So you might as well strengthen the one that has the best results. And that shows the results of faith. Mm-hmm. But in a similar way, I like what E.W. Kenyon said. He, he was a Christian writer about 100 years ago. And he said that many of us exist in a state of two confessions. And what does he mean by that? You know, we can take the word of God and say like, say like, uh, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. And I can say, Christopher, you do believe that my God shall supply all of your needs according to oh yeah, yeah, I'll, I agree with the word. I believe that that's what he said. But you know that in the next breath or down the road or in a, in a, in a couple of moments later, Christopher can then begin saying, and I'm not saying he does this, I'm just picking on him, using him as an example because he chose to sit in the front row. <laughs> He can say at one point, I believe what the word says there, that he's my supply, but then he can also with the same mouth begin to say, I'm just not sure what I'm going to do. I just don't see like I, ha- I don't have the provision for this. I'm not sure where I'm going to go. And in that situation, you now have two confessions fighting for supremacy. You have the one that you said, I believe what the word says, but I also believe that I'm not sure what I need to do or, or that I have enough. We can have right and wrong confessions existing in our environment and coming out of our mouths all at the same time. I can guarantee you that as a pastor, I've been pastoring for 12 years, when I show people the word, most people say, yeah, I believe it's true. It's it's very, it's very rare that someone says, I don't believe it. But they'll say, I agree with that, and then tell me everything else they believe about it. And they're not often the same things. So just as your faith and your unbelief can be pulling against each other, the confessions of your mouth can be trying to take you in two different directions. And all it takes is one correction. And you begin to move in a direction that you actually wanted to go. What is a wrong confession? Well, a wrong confession would be a confession of defeat or failure or the perspective of the enemy. Most people agree more with what the enemy has to say about their situation than they believe what God says about their situation. We know that God says that you cannot be defeated, that you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus, that you are a victor. So we need to stop talking defeat and failure because you are not a defeated one and you are not a failure. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. There's new things that you should say about yourself that I always will come triumph in Christ Jesus. I always win. That's what the word of God says about you. He says that you are an overcomer. So you should start saying that about yourself. You know, I was dealing with a person probably about a decade ago now. They were having issues in their business. And I sat and I I listened to what they were having to say. And I said to them, I said, you need to start calling your business something different. And they said, well, I, I really like the name of my business. And I was like, whoosh. I said, no, you just spent an hour telling me how you can't make it in this business maybe you should start telling your business how blessed it is maybe you should start telling your business the opportunities that are coming its way maybe you should tell your business the clients that are coming through your door why don't you speak life into it rather than the death you just spent the last hour Mm -hmm. don't align your words with what the enemy believes about you because they're not true It says he is a liar and the father of lies. So anytime you're in agreement with him, you've bought into the lie. So if that's what a wrong confession is, what's a right confession? Well, a right confession would be, one, what God has done in Christ for us remember who died so that you didn't have to remember who bore the sins so that yours could be forgiven remember who took the shame so you don't have to live in shame today i would love for more of us to begin to say i thank you god my sins are forgiven but you know what most of christianity says i'm just a sinner saved by grace no you were a sinner grace wiped out the sinner part and made you the christian christian means believer Believing is in your nature. So we should always align with what Christ has done because it's not by your might, not by your power, but by the Spirit. It's about what He accomplished, not about what you can do. A right confession would be based around what God through the Word and through the Spirit has done in us. We already said, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away. I am an overcomer because of what the Word has done and through what the Spirit has done in me. A right confession would be what we are to the Father and to Christ. I'm so glad that God is my Father. He's not just some God who's far off on a throne. He's Daddy God, and Jesus is your brother. And you are joint heirs together with Him. Of all the things that as Christians we have the right and the authority to say, we should be ashamed of some of the things that we spend our time talking about. And lastly, we should have the confession of what God can do through us and what the word will do on our lips. That I lay hands on the sick and they recover. That's what the word of God said about me, not what I said about me. That in the name of Jesus, every knee has to bow and he's given to me the name that is above every name to use. That all authority has been given unto me because Jesus gave it to me to use. That's what should be on our lips. Mm-hmm. But Proverbs eighteen twenty says that a man's stomach will be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. And from the produce of his lips shall he be filled. So what has your life become filled with? Because the next verse says death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Love what? Which one did you choose? Which one did you choose to love? Because it filled your belly, it spilled out into your life, and it has created the world in which you live in right now. Mm -hmm. But the great thing is, is you're never stuck. I think that's one of the great things of Christianity, is no matter how far you've walked, no matter what you've done or what you're stuck in, all it takes is one of these. Jesus. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Never stuck. You know, it shouldn't be any surprise To us that this is how we are to work as Christians because if we think about even how God created the environment in which we live in in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God God didn't think the world into existence he didn't will it into existence he had a desire in his heart and he spoke it into existence he said let there be light and there was light Let there be animals, let there be water, let there be stars, let there be earth, let there be man, and it was. And it says he created man and woman in his image and in his likeness. Just as God is a speaking spirit, so are you. So we are to keep, as we are to keep and guard our heart, we must also guard our words. You know, I had a sad situation number of years ago now, I was preaching on the message of grace and what Christ has done for us and how our job is just to believe what he said. And afterwards, they came up and they said, oh, pastor, I'm so happy about that message that you just preached. I'm so tired of having to watch my words. And I said, what? What does the message of Jesus, what he did, have to do with what your responsibility is in your life? the words that come out of your mouth are your responsibility and as we are to guard our hearts we're also to guard our words as as David said he cried out to God in a hard moment he said God set a guard O Lord over my mouth and watch over the door of my lips don't let me drift towards evil or take part in the acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. And how do you end up drifting that direction? There's a reason why David said, help me shut my mouth, God. James told us, he says, we, we all stumble in many things, and that's a very true statement. We all stumble in many things, but if anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man. Able to also bridle the whole body. It says, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. And look also at ships, although they're so large and they're driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Who's the pilot of your life? (laughs) Even so, the tongue is a little member, and it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Yeah. Think about that. What did, what did James just say? It only takes a little bit of fire to burn down the whole forest. Let me say that again. It only takes a little bit of fire to burn down the whole forest. And so, if we're tending the garden of our hearts in our life, it only takes a little bit of fire to set it in a new direction. Is the forest what you want? Then build it up, strengthen it. If the forest is not what you want, burn it down and plant something new. Mm -hmm. Give it life. Five verses later, he said, out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. And my brethren, these things ought not to be. Meaning our mouth can be set in the blessing switch lock it down throw away the key because he said we shouldn't be doing both this ought not to be so we fill our hearts with the things we speak and what it is filled with becomes our responses it says out of keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs what you put in via the words of your mouth is what's going to come back out because jesus said out of the abundance of our heart the mouth speaks A good man, let's get a turn there, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. The word for brings forth there is the word akbala, which means to cast out or to drive out or to send out. What are the things of your heart casting out? Are they casting out the things of God? Is it driving out the working of the spirit in your life? Is it sending out good things to people? Is it sending out words of life and and comfort and exhortation to people? Whatever is in is going to come out. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have a choice. You can hide it for a bit. You know, having a conversation with people, especially as a pastor, people tell you what they think you want to hear first. And the job is to listen long enough to find out what they actually mean. We all do it, whether good or bad. And so Solomon also said, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. You are snared by the words of your mouth, and you are taken by them. What does the word snared mean? It's interesting. It first means to lure Second means to entice, and the third means to entrap. So the words that you are speaking, they begin to lure you in a direction. And at first you may not like them, but then they begin to entice you. And before you know it, you're locked, you're trapped. The door is slung below you, behind you. Now, it's interesting that the Hebrew lexicon here for this word means to be taken into a noose. And, you know, there's something interesting. Like, in a court of law, if you're a lawyer and you have a witness that you're pretty sure is lying, what do you want them to do? You want to get them talking. And they say, I want to give them enough rope to hang themselves. Meaning, if if they talk long enough, they'll tell the truth. And that's what Solomon is meaning here with his words. If you let someone talk long enough, they'll hang themselves with them. They'll hang themselves with the good things or they'll hang themselves with the, the bad things. And the same idea is when you are taken by your words, it means to capture, to seize, or to grasp together. But guess what? The thing that you're coming to is not grabbing onto you. Your words are grabbing onto it. It means to basically grab hold and give it a bear hug. So your words are wrapping onto things. They are grabbing things. And I like how this word is used. It's good to look at the context of how these similar words are used. In Psalm 915, it says, The nations have sunk down into the pit which they made, and the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. Caught that's the word taken that's used in the other one here in psalm 59 12 it says for with the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips let them even be taken in their pride it's interesting how is pride expressed with our words Hmm. i i i it was expressed on the devil's lips I will exalt myself, my throne above the throne of God. I will make myself great. Pride is always expressed in the vanity of our words. So, if that's the case, what do we do? It's a really simple solution. I think that's the great thing about the Bible is they're all easy answers. There's nothing difficult, nothing hard. He says in Hebrews 10, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without failing, without wavering, without letting go. Let us hold fast. Let us latch on. As our words can grab hold of things and allow us to be ensnared, be careful about what you're ensnaring yourself to. What are you latching on to? It says, hold on to the confession or the profession of our hope. Now, a lot of people like to translate this and say, hold on to the confession of our faith, but that's not the word that's used here. It's the word "elpus," which means confident expectation of good things to come. And so what is he trying to say? He's saying, talk about how good it's coming down the pipe for you. My tomorrow looks great. My future is awesome. There is good things coming my way. This may look like it's trying to trip me up, but I'm going to sidestep this problem and I'm going to keep on trucking. 2020 may have looked like it sucked on the outside, but it's leading me to 2021, which is going to be awesome. What is your confident expectation of good things? to come what are your words talking about your tomorrow today because it can give you a picture of where you'll be when you get there he says hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who is promised is faithful confession of our hope proverbs thirteen twelve says that hope deferred makes the heart sick did you forget that we were talking about the heart The reason we have to hold fast to the confession of our hope, because when hope leaves the equation, the heart begins to suffer. And out of the heart springs all the issues of our lives. So what should we be saying about our lives? Let's just throw in a few confessions here this morning. Might as well make them based upon the word. Does that sound like a good idea to everyone? How about Isaiah chapter 53? It says, by his stripes I am healed. So I possess healing in my body because of Jesus. It was his stripes. How about John 8, 36? The Son has made me free, so I walk in freedom. How about Romans 5, 5? The love of God has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. So I possess the ability to love in all situations. How about Proverbs 28? The righteous are as bold as a lion. I have lion-hearted boldness in me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I stand freely in the presence of Almighty God and in the presence of Satan as a victor. I will not be defeated and I will not quit. How about 2 Corinthians 6? I am the temple of the living God. I possess God living in me, walking with me, never leaving me or forsaking me all my days. Now, maybe you're watching us this morning and you haven't made the most important confession that there is. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved and there's nothing more important than just to confess Jesus and he'll come and make his home in you. So church, why don't we pray with them? Let's say, "Father, Father, right now I confess Jesus. I believe that you raised him from the dead. And I receive him into my heart right now. I believe. And we thank you for that, Father. If you prayed that prayer with us this morning, we would love for you to get in contact with us and get you hooked up with a good church in your area. We'd love to get some resources into your hands. And if you're in the Smith Falls area, we say welcome home. Come on and join us. We have great things that God would love for you to know, and we'd love to walk hand in hand in this journey that you have. But guys, the heart is really a simple thing. It follows where you lead. Lead it with your words. And so I encourage you, think of just one thing from the Bible that you can speak over your life this week. Just one, it doesn't have to be many. Find one thing and decide within yourself, I'm gonna talk this over me for this week. And you know what? When you begin to focus on them, your heart begins to soften to those things. Guys, you are blessed. Have a wonderful week. Oh, wait, no, Pastor Robin, Woo! jumping, cutting you out. It's offering time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we're going to do what we just talked about doing, is we're going to do a confession over the seed that we're about to sow. Amen. So you can give several ways. You can give by uh, uh, online at uh, wordchurch.ca/give. slash You can give just put an uh, envelope in the basket at the back, and or just mail us something. That works too. So, amen, amen. So let's say this together. This is my seed. I sow it into the kingdom of God. Seed, do what you do best. Grow. I sow you to spread the gospel. I sow you to strengthen believers. I sow you to go where I cannot. I saw you to grow, multiply, and return in great supply, harvest. I receive you. Lack? I resist you. His supply is sufficient. I walk in abundance of grace in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You are blessed.